This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, I bring to you Dave Beckberger, who is a senior graph architect at Amazon Web Services, known as AWS. He is also a co-author for Graph Databases in Action by Manning Publications. Dave, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, I love graph databases because the work I do every single day is around understanding knowledge and the relationships of that, whether from traditional data or more unstructured data. And I'm so looking forward to our conversation because I think we're going to get into a lot of these topics about graphs, graph databases, and what connected data means for our listeners. But let's start out from a high level. Dave, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in the industry? Yeah. So I've actually been in in the software development industry for a little over 20 plus years now. Kind of started out my career doing full stack software development. But about four or five years ago, I got really into working with graph data and graph databases, specifically around how to use them within kind of enterprise or, or just corporate environments in general to be able to basically help solve, you know, certain types of problems that just traditional, uh, you know, relational databases or, or other data technologies are not very good at solving. And using that to kind of build out, you know, high performance kind of data platforms on top of, you know, usually a mix of technologies, but usually kind of you know, really focused around solving them with graph and graph database technologies. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, it's one of those things. It's definitely, you know, kind of become a passion of mine. I mean, I, I wrote a book about it, so I definitely obviously enjoy the topic, but I, I really kind of fell into it really. And it kind of just was one of those technologies when I started using it, it really started to, it clicked with me and it really started to make sense to be able to, you know, how I could use this to solve certain types of problems really very efficiently. Now, when we talk about this term graph, I think back to my days of Algebra 2 in high school where I'm drawing X, Y and connecting dots and vectors together. Can you break down for our audience, what is a graph? What is connected data? So, yeah, uh, when we're talking about graphs, we're not talking about, you know, bar charts, line charts, things of that nature. What we're really talking about is the mathematical construct of a graph. But don't let that scare you, because really when you think, when you kind of break it down, it's really about networks. You know, connected data of, you know, of different, you know, people connected to other people or trucks connected to other, you know, trucks or things of that nature. It's really about building out those networks, kind of like the the canonical example of, of a graph would be something like a social network. So if you think about something like Facebook or Twitter and how people are connected to other people that are connected to other people, those sorts of things is, is what we, you know, when we're talking about a graph, we're talking about that sort of web of interconnected entities and items and using that, those connections to be able to kind of, you know, answer specific types of questions and draw certain types of insight and information out of that data that isn't necessarily easily available from other technologies. And when we think about graphs, you know, how are graphs connected data and how are they being used today? I think the common use case that comes to my mind, of course, is the pandemic and tracking COVID-19 and, you know, where are the different infections and the movement of this virus. But there's so much more than that. Dave, you just shared about the social networks, our, our time spent on Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and messaging and integrating with each other. But where are you seeing additional use cases of graphs and connected data to yeah, I mean, in addition to, you know, yeah, the, you know, social networks, obviously contact tracing is actually a really good example of, uh, you know, how you can use those connected data to be able to kind of go back and find, you know, a super spreader event and that sort of thing. But, you know, from a corporate environment and things, you know, or, or you know, what, what people, I, I see people using at enterprises today, it kind of comes down to a couple of different areas. Uh, but really, a lot of them are focused on, you know, being able to, you know, uh, work with, you know, what's kind of known as a knowledge graph inside most enterprises. So, you know, any, especially over the past two years or so, the concept of being able to build enterprise knowledge graphs has really bubbled up. And what an enterprise knowledge graph is kind of depends on who you're talking to. But really, you can think about it as ways to connect disparate data silos inside of an organization together in a way that basically allows you to see kind of a holistic view of information and, and where information comes from inside of a company. So, you know, a great example like this, let's say you're working with something that's like, uh, you know, maybe an e-commerce site. Well, if you have an e-commerce site, maybe you have you know, one system that's basically running your web page and tracking your, you know, your clicks and, and, and how people are moving through your site. And you have another system that's basically tracking orders and another system that's in charge of handling basically distribution inside your warehouse and another one that's in charge of, you know, and storing data for being, a, you know, uh, customers that are complaining about things or, you know, questions coming in on forms, things of that nature about your thing. Well, with all these different disparate data silos inside your organization, how are you ever, you know, if a customer calls in, how is, you know, the, for example, a customer service agent supposed to be able to actually see the entirety of their path 
through the, you know, the different parts and pieces of the organization, how they've, you know, what purchases they've bought, what the current state of the shipment of that is, what issues they've had with it in the past. And, you know, an enterprise knowledge graph kind of works for being able to connect those different pieces together in such a way that you can easily kind of get a holistic view of, you know, that sort of entity. And that entity could be a person, it could be a truck, because you could you maybe want to track, you know, different things about how um, maintenance was performed, things, you know, maintenance was performed, when was the last, you know, what routes did it go on, things of that nature. So enterprise knowledge graphs is definitely one area. Um, there's a couple other areas we definitely see quite frequently, one of them being uh, fraud. I mean, fraud's kind of another canonical use, use case, because fraud is all about figuring out connections and patterns within data, to be able to discern whether this activity is fraudulent or not. Another one we, we've actually seen quite frequently uh, lately is, is this concept of an identity graph, being able to you know, take something like data from clickstream analysis inside different parts of your site and be able to identify down you know, into a certain subset uh, you know, that this person is likely also this person, that's likely also this person. And that's usually used to power something like a recommendation engine, because now that I know what you've been looking at and what the different, you know, you know, that this this mobile device and this web browser here and this web browser here are all likely the same person. I can kind of personalize those recommendations specifically to that customer the next time we see them come in. I'm a big fan of identity graphs. You know, this year I was getting my renewal for the global entry trusted traveler program in the U.S. and I remember after I started searching to make sure I had the renewal with the TSA, suddenly I started getting these recommendation searches. Would you like to buy this additional suitcase? Would you like these additional security features to help you with your trust and your privilege? So it's it's amazing uh, how everything goes hand in hand. And thinking about identity and fraud and knowledge graphs, they're all about security and trust. But, you know, why are we spending so much effort on graph technology. Why aren't we using other technology for these relationships? Why do you think graphs is where it's at? I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that other technologies don't do a great job of being able to link together and link together entities in such a way that those links and those connections are also treated as first-class citizens inside, inside that data. Because if you think about something, like a social network, you know, a very simple thing. The fact that you're connected to someone else and that person's connected to someone else, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter as much, you know, the entities that are connected together are, are important, but the connections between them are really what starts to drive a lot of the insight on how you can use that data to be able to do things like recommend another, a friend of, you know, essentially recommend who you might want to be friends with based on the fact that you're connected to different people who are connected to different people that aren't necessarily connected to you, that sort of thing. Graphs bring, you know, those connections in your data up to being first-class citizens. That's what I kind of, kind of the term I like to use it. You know, it brings, you know, those connections are as important or more important than the, than the entities they connect. So, you know, with a graph, those connections are brought up and given kind of first class status in the languages and queries that you run, you know, graphs definitely have, are, you know, have a different query language than something like a relational database, but it, you know, those query languages basically treat those, those connections in such a way that it's very easy to, you know, move across them in, you know, uh, in graph terms, it's called traversing them to be able to move across them, to be able to drive insight from how those connections are made and how those connections 
basically, you know, connect uh, this network of data together. Now, uh, being someone in the database industry with analytics and data science, I think a lot of our listeners are always wondering, graphs, I think I've heard of something called GraphQL. Now, Dave, is GraphQL graphs or can you demystify this for us as well? I mean, GraphQL, I'm, I'm actually, you know, like I said, I come from a full stack development and I love GraphQL for what it's meant for me, you know, but GraphQL is really not about graph, you know, specifically about graphs itself. I like to think of GraphQL as it's a query language for your APIs. I think that's actually even the, the tagline that, that, that GraphQL uses. You know, GraphQL isn't so much about you know, being able to traverse those connections between your data as much as it is about being able to take essentially what, what in traditional terms would be a restful response, but being able to, you know, specify how you want to basically get the return data back from it. So you can, it's not so much traversing graphs as it is being able to kind of shape the results of the, of a restful response coming back to you. But that being said, we, there's there's definitely some overlapping concepts between them. Not only is the name graph in GraphQL, but also, you know, GraphQL does allow you to kind of specify, I want to get like a parent-child relationship and things of that nature. So it's kind of one of those areas where there's a little bit of overlap between graphs and GraphQL. And there's certain databases that actually use GraphQL as, the, or well, extensions to GraphQL as their query language. You know, as a listener, I, I don't think you should conflate the two together or put the two together in such a way that you think graphs and GraphQL are the same thing. They're kind of complementary technologies meant to solve different problems. Yeah, I think this makes sense that today a lot of real-time analytics platforms, including you know the work that we're doing at Single Store, is about accelerating data to be faster, accelerating full-stack systems to be near real time or in real time. And to add to that, there's so many different data techniques and data structures that are critical for every workload. And so it seems that we're discussing today about graphs and how they're in use and how they're powerful for large enterprises across every industry, being sector agnostic. Thinking about connected data, thinking about these enterprises what are you seeing as some of the emerging trends or the newer use cases for graphs and connected data? You know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say these are necessarily new and emerging, but the ones I've seen kind of bubble to the top recently is, you know, some of those ones we've talked about, especially, you know, around uh, enterprise knowledge graphs, identity graphs, things of that nature, you know, customer 360 type solutions. But I think that what I've seen kind of, you know, th those have been around for a while, but what I've seen kind of bubble up is being able to kind of, not only process those in like a real-time transactional mode, but but being able to use those along with something like graph type analytics or and then use that in conjunction with AI and ML technologies to basically be able to kind of augment data back into your graph in order to basically provide a better real-time user experience using these kind of you know, trifecta of different techniques out there, you know, to be able to really provide, you know, real-time highly personalized sorts of uh, recommendation engines or, you know, user experiences that, that really modern day applications are, are being basically, you know, required to have by, by customers. 
And now if we pivot this conversation from the enterprise perspective back to consumers like you and I who are on our smartphones, our mobile devices, and our personal machines, connected data does impact us every day. We've talked about the onset of today's conversation about contact tracing, about COVID and the vaccines and the variants as we're building these new healthcare systems that are going to be immunity passport first. We're confirming your last COVID testing date. It seems that graphs are going to be at the heart of this here as well. Do you think that perhaps COVID and the pandemic has been a reemergence as graphs to say this is a great data structure that we should be using for more use cases? Yeah, I think much like, uh, you know, remote work from home, you know, it, I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, because of COVID, but I think that it's been, that that realization has been accelerated due to the the nature of that problem. You know, as we kind of mentioned earlier, something like contact tracing is very much a network type problem. You're trying to find out how two people are connected inside this web of different, you know, uh, you know, contacts that they have. And, being, and, and I think people started to see that and started to think about, okay, how can I use this to solve other problems inside, not you know only my enterprise, but also within my consumer application, my website, things like this. How can this technology be used to help drive a better customer experience? Because you know, at the end of the day, any you know everything in a, you know any enterprise build or any consumer service build is really about creating a better you know, a better, faster, and easier to use experience for your customers because, you know, whomever those customers are, are either internal or external customers, because those are really the driving forces behind any kind of business initiative. So, you know, I, I definitely have seen, you know, think graphs are one of those technologies that's going to be key to being able to do things like I was mentioning earlier with the enterprise knowledge graph, you know, being able to link those disparate data sources together in such a way that you can get a holistic view of a customer or a holistic view and use that holistic view to be able to better recommend products to that end user, things of that nature. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Now, from these classic cases that we're diving into to the more emerging trends, of course, the 2020s is the decade where AI goes mainstream. A lot of organizations and policies and countries are talking about Vision 2030, where at the onset of 2020, only 15% of organizations and countries are AI first, but by 2030, almost 75% of companies and organizations will be building products and structures augmented by AI. And graphs do have a relationship with AI. What is that relationship that you've seen, Dave? So there's a couple of, of very specific kind of relationships that I, I, I've seen work with, with graphs and AI. Um, you know, some of the things I kind of mentioned uh, briefly earlier is things like there's definitely certain types of analytics that can be run on top of graphs that are very helpful to be used as inputs into machine learning algorithms of different types. So examples of some of those are things like, especially if you're working in like a fraud area or something like that, you really want to kind of find groups of people that are similar to each other. So you may want to run a clustering type algorithm, like a Louvain algorithm or a connected components type algorithm on top of your, your graph of connected data in order to find out that all of these people, you know, that person A, B, Z, and Q are all basically very tightly connected together. And that may be a very predictive feature fraud-based machine learning model. No, another common use case that we see is things along the lines of, of, of embeddings or being able to create, you know, uh, very simple structures that that help define a network of people around a certain person in the graph. So let's, you know, if you want to think about something like a fraud use case, being able to see how closely somebody is connected to other known fraudsters, that's probably going to be something that's very helpful inside of your you know, machine learning algorithm, because, you know, if somebody is directly connected to the same address as somebody who's a known fraudster, you're probably going to risk that person very differently than you would somebody that isn't connected to any of any known fraudulent activity. So being able to kind of use those kind of that connected data structure in order to be able to to use that as inputs into your machine learning models. And then the last one, which is one of the, the, the high, the very kind of hot topics in, in just machine learning in general and graphs based machine learning specifically is its concept of a graph neural network, which is basically a neural network that instead of taking only kind of vector features as input, it actually takes in a graph itself. So, you know, graph as an input to be able to create, you know, uh, predictive models on the output. You know, I, kind of one of all the, the ironies I always thought about like neural networks in general is, you know, under the covers, what is a neural network, but it's building a graph of different connected, you know, objects inside inside of the algorithm itself as it's training and learning. But it was, you know, they weren't able to actually take in graphs as features. So they, you know, you ended up having to do embed the features in your graph into a vector or something like that. But with graph neural networks, they actually allow you to basically use graphs as inputs in order to get use those for predictive modeling. And they're very useful where you, in certain scenarios where like the connected nature of the data that you're working with is a very predictive measure. For example, the, the example I was just giving a minute ago for fraud, where you, know, you, you being connected within one or two connections to a known fraudster is probably 
you know, it's definitely a most likely a predictive measure that you might want to risk you a little bit different on a fraud on a fraud score than somebody who, you know, doesn't have any known fraudulent activity within five hops of them or something like that. Yeah, I think when we're thinking about the growing financial domain with neobanks and underbanks consumers, there's a lot of opportunities to build KYC and AML correct from the start. And that's looking at these use cases that you're talking about, Dave. You know, are you signing all the right boxes and ensuring that everything is compliant? It sounds like compliance in the financial services industry is a, a core use case for graphs and why that's been growing so much. In fact, I, I know in your book that you you published with Manning Publications, actually in chapters two and seven, you dive very deep into graphs and their relationships, especially with AI. You know, what uh, motivated you to build and launch this book to dive deep into graphs and graph neural networks? Yeah, I mean, what kind of motivated me was, um, you know, when I started working with graphs about four or five years ago, there was a lot of like hello world type tutorials out there. And there was a lot of very complex academic type of papers on how graphs can be used for these sorts of things. But what wasn't really there was that kind of, you know, the middle of the road of, okay, I, I understand a little bit about graphs and I can write a hello world, but I need to go now actually build a real application against this information. You know, there was a lot, there wasn't a lot in that sort of domain. So, I mean, my, you know, my background is, you know, like I said, I was a full stack software developer and I really, you know, I'd used a few no SQL databases before kind of jumping into graph, but basically most of my background was all in building on top of, you know, relational databases, be it Postgres or Microsoft SQL Server, Oracle, something like that, building with that very table and column type mindset. And what I kind of wanted this book to be was really, this was the book that I wished I'd had when I was starting out, <laughs> you know, it's kind of write a book to solve your own problem sort of, sort of uh, scenario, you know, so that's why the entirety of the kind of book is really the, how do you take a, you know, the, the, the the thought behind the book was really how do you take a relational developer and get them to be able to start thinking in a graph about problems as if they are a graph and what they really need to know in order to get started. Because if you start, you know, really diving deep into it, you get very quickly into all of this very complicated math that, you know, myself, you know, my back, my schooling was, a, I was an electrical engineer. I'd never even taken like a discrete systems class. I hadn't, I didn't have that formalized math background. So that's, that was very intimidating. And it really, to be able to build graph, you know, graph-based applications or applications on top of graph databases, you don't necessarily need to have all of that very academic understanding. There's a lot of ways that, you know, because graphs are, are so much around us in our real life every day, we, we're already using a lot of these concepts and thinking about problems in these sorts of ways and being able to, you know, condense that down in, into a, a system that helps people start to think about problems that way was really kind of what I was hoping to achieve with this book. And hopefully I did achieve that with, with with this book. I think that's something I've definitely seen through the previews and through the chapters I've looked into myself as someone who uh, started out as an actuarial uh, scientist and then got involved actually in computer science and discrete math. I can tell you learning the material takes a lot of effort, a lot of hard work to pick it up. And then you see these amazing packages in programming languages like Python, Java and others where, hey, here's the graph uh, package. And guess what? You know, if you, if you know the math, that's fantastic. You can research, you can build up the system, design something proprietary from the ground up. 
Or alternatively, you can use some of the best practices from open source and closed source and scale from there. So, you know, we think often in software engineering as well as in data science as a service about build versus buy. Sometimes buying the technology is the best option to scale your product quicker. Yeah, and I mean, I think that comes down to, you know, what is the end business driver for what you're trying to solve? You know, there's definitely a certain a group of people that are really trying to solve, okay, how do I optimize a shortest path algorithm using A-Star or Dijkstra? However, most people, <laughs> that, that's not really the problem you're trying to solve. You're trying to solve, okay, you know, how, how do I deliver this package to my customer faster? You know, how do I route this better? Those sorts of questions are really the business drivers. So, you know, we can use those, you know, the work that's done by, you know, those, those people that are focused on the academic aspects or, you know, they're not all academic, but, you know, the academic and practical aspects of building those algorithms to be able to really build, you know, leverage those to build more complex systems, you know. I think a lot of these things, I always think of, you know, I always bring it back to Legos. I'm a big Lego fan, <laughs> as, as a lot of people are. You know, people have spent a lot of time building these little, these bricks. And, you know, when I go to build an application, I'd love, you know, the more I can use the bricks that other people have built, the faster it accelerates me actually building the entire, you know, the model that I'm trying to build or the application I'm trying to build in software terms. So it's interesting sometimes to be able to kind of dive deep into some of the, the how exactly, you know, uh, a shortest path algorithm works or connected components algorithm work. And there's value in that being able to also, you know, understand the outputs of those things. But, you know, coming from the background that I had, that was not, you know, my primary focus was on, okay, how do I solve my customer's problem better, faster, and, uh, and make it easier for them than in, especially in a more maintainable way from a, from a software development perspective. So I definitely look for that, you know, look at that buy versus build decision is, okay, what's going to give, what's going to drive the business value of this project I'm working on faster. And speaking of faster, the world continues to accelerate as we move into a hybrid digital first world. We're always thinking about the greatest technology and what are those use cases. So looking at graphs moving forward, thinking of vision 2030, where do you see the use of graph technology headed? I mean, I, I think the one of the biggest ways that I've, I've seen graphs being adopted today, and I, and I expect more and more of it to be adopted, is I expect I, I see them being adopted in to be used in conjunction with other technologies, be those relational databases or document databases or key value stores or, or whatever other technologies are out there. You know, I always kind of look at any any of these applications as. You know, there's, they all have a hundred problems that they need to different, you know, a hundred different questions they need to be able to answer and relational databases might do 80 of them really well. And document DBs might do, you know, five of them really well and key value stores solve the other couple of them. Well, that leaves a certain percentage that where you're dealing with these connected data problems and being able to kind of leverage the right technology and, you know, use graphs and graph databases at the right time to be able to solve those types of problems. What I kind of see moving forward and what I've started to see an adoption for is, is a realization from you know developers and companies that your relational database isn't going to necessarily solve all these problems and when you get to a point where you know you're trying to do you know you get to a kind of a, a realization that your relational database isn't the right choice for this problem that graphs are starting to become more and more the the kind of go-to choice for solving those sorts of connected data issues and being able to drive those sorts of insights so that's it's definitely one area where i see graph technology headed is kind of that more tight integration between dis different data sources to solve different problems. 
And then, you know, the other way I definitely see them being used is, as we kind of mentioned, you know, the, the graphs as uh, both inputs and outputs of machine learning models and being able to use them to basically, you know, machine learning or graphs as inputs to machine learning and being able to take the inputs to me or the outputs from those machine learning models and augment those back in your graph to kind of build an iterative cycle of basically graph augmentation to be able to solve some of these types of problems. And so all these problems sound exciting. There's so much possibilities for building technology and for solving problems for businesses at the onset. Beyond that, we always like to think about technology on the show, about, you know, human first, but there's sometimes dangers and bad actors there. Do you see any dangers in the way that graphs can or could be used? I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those technologies. It's definitely a double-edged sword because you're able to drive insights and you'd be able to see connections between things. People could use those connections in, in nefarious type ways. You know, uh, let's just take the example of an identity graph. You know, I, I was actually talking to a friend here a little while ago. You know, she was <laughs> she, she was wondering, you know, why is Facebook all of a sudden being able to show, showing her ads about something that her boyfriend had been looking at on, on Google? It's like because, you know, because in the identity graph world, they were able to, you know, kind of put those people down into a household or whatever they were using. But they would basically be able to identify that these two people were in the same place, you know, being able to use that sort of information in this case to use tar- to do targeted advertising. But, you know, you could think of that in the same way where someone would be able to use that to start doing things like being able to, you know, do fraud, uh, you know, identity fraud or identity theft against people, being able to use that to basically, you know, could be able to blackmail people with that or any sorts, lots of other bad actor type things because you're able to now take this information and connect together these pieces of information, which independently wouldn't necessarily give you a lot of detailed information about somebody, but putting them together and connecting them using a graph starts to now give you a more holistic and fulfilled picture on somebody. And so tying everything all together from both the positives of the technology and the opportunities for it to improve, you know, a lot of this inspired you to write a book, you know, and uh, I think Dave yourself, as well as your colleague, Josh Perryman together wrote Graph Databases in Action by Manning Publications. What are some of the takeaways you've seen with the book being out in the wild on the shelves by now? I think some of the biggest takeaways uh, I've seen is just the the, the mostly completely positive reactions um, from people and, and really they're appreciating the fact that someone has kind of gone through this hassle of filling in that, you know, as I kind of said, that gap in, okay, you know, I've gone from a hello world to, you know, an academic paper. How do I actually use this in a, you know, to solve my practical everyday problems? I've gotten a lot of really, really positive feedback from people that are really appreciate the fact that even if they don't necessarily agree with everything that's written in the book, at least some they they like the fact that there's been a conversation started about, okay, how do we actually take this technology and practically apply it to everyday types of problems in ways that are pragmatic from a where the technology exists today? You know, uh, graph databases, they're, you know, relatively new technology, you know, They've been around, depending on exactly which one you're talking about or which type you're talking about, you know, let's say 10 to 20 years. But, you know, if you compare that to something like a relational database that's been around for 40 plus years or even longer than that at this point, they're definitely not quite to the same stage of maturity. So, 
you know, being able to take the, you know, the, the feedback I've generally had is, you know, people appreciate the fact that we've been able to kind of take a real pragmatic look of when to use them, when not to use them. And what are the, some of the drawbacks and, and complications that not only the technology prevents, but learning that technology prevents to, you know, uh, developers on a daily, you know, when they're trying to solve their daily problems. Well, I'm so looking forward to the future of graph databases. It is so much that we've covered today, and I think it's uh, only the beginning as they become a stronger use case, as data is moving with us every place that we go. Dave Beckberger, Senior Graph Architect at AWS and co-author of Graph Databases in Action by Manning Publications. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.